Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to another episode of the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. I am Dan Newman, the co-host of Hello, Old Sports, and I am joined, as always, by my brother, Andrew Newman. Andrew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Dan. Uh, we had some snow here in the New York area today, um, although not as much as I was expecting. So kind of a good news, bad news situation and that I did have to go to work. So that's the bad news, I suppose. The good news is, you know, less snow is always fun to deal or is always uh, less of a challenge to deal with, if I can uh, say this succinctly, which I obviously cannot. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm excited. It's a little interesting because... We do these podcasts via Zoom, and it's currently Tuesday, February the 28th, and uh, I was down visiting you until two days ago. Uh, I was there over the weekend with my parents and my girlfriend visiting um, you and your uh, collective household, so you're currently filming, and I'm looking at an area that was basically the same view I had while I was sleeping Friday night and Saturday night, so yeah. it's just... Yeah. It's a little bit strange to adapt. I believe the desk you're sitting at right now is where I was keeping my underpants. <laughs> well, uh, just just don't tell me that if you don't mind. I don't care if you do it. Just don't tell me. Um, yes, we uh, Andrew came down and we it was a very um, it was a very basketball weekend for yours truly. Uh, when uh, Andrew and uh, everybody else got down on. Friday night, I was still uh, downtown D.C. at the Knicks-Wizards game, which was a victory for the Knicks. And then on Saturday night, Andrew and I and my father, we went to a uh, LaSalle versus George Washington basketball game. Andrew's alma mater, LaSalle. Unfortunately, it was not. And I'm Andrew victory. Newman. Goodbye, old sports. <laughs> oh. It was not a victory for the LaSalle Explorers. Uh the LaSalle Explorers, who incidentally have been a uh, topic on an early episode, two early episodes, actually, of Hello Old Sports, if you want to check that out. Yes, it was a good weekend, a good basketball weekend. And yes, Andrew was down visiting my uh, my my family, my my growing family, my wife, my, uh, my four-month-old son, and our, uh, as always, nutty dog, Thumper, the Hello Old Sports uh, mascot, three-legged boxer mix that he is. So uh, football season is over. Uh, basketball and hockey seasons are sort of, uh, you know, not coming to a close, but, you know, getting there. March Madness will be here within a couple weeks, and we are discussing uh, baseball. Uh, and uh, I had an idea. We've done similar topics in the past. We did very early on. We did both the all-time starting fives for every NBA team and we also did the top four the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks for all 32 NFL teams and then we sort of picked a winner from each uh, each division or each conference and then kind of figured out who, who the best would be of all time this is going to be a similar type of show a similar format where we select the all-time starting nine for all 30 teams in Major League history. And I have to give a shout out to my aforementioned wife, Allison, because as I was talking about this episode with her, she said to me, you really don't think you're going to be able to do 15 teams in one show, you know, all National League, all American League. And I thought about it more and she said, why don't you do divisions? And I think that's right. And so We've decided we're going to break these up into six individual episodes. They will not be the next six episodes. We'll do a couple now, and then we'll sort of sprinkle them in throughout the spring and summer. And so what we'll do is we'll pick a basically an all-time starting nine. So all eight positions plus a pitcher. Uh, no DH, uh, but you know DH is obviously Which, eligible. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
which threw some wrinkles into a couple of these. Might not be one we get to tonight, but um, I researched the first two divisions we're going to do, and uh, a couple of them, the no DH one throws a few interesting wrinkles into it. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, and then, and then one starting pitcher. So, and then we'll pick who we think the best is from each division. And some teams uh, have only been around since the late nineties and other teams and other franchises have been around since the 1870s. So we'll really have some different directions to go in. And in our very first episode, Andrew made a really good point. He said, let's not do the AL East first, because that would be sort of cliched. It's what you might expect from our podcast, given how, um, how Northeast and especially Yankee heavy we are. So Andrew had the suggestion, and I think it's a good one. We are going to start with the National League Central here tonight. Five teams, the Cubs, Pirates, Cardinals, Reds, and the Milwaukee Brewers, who started their existence in the American League and have been with the NL Central for the last couple of decades. And that's one reason this is also fairly clean, which is good, which is... Four of these five teams have been around forever. They've been in the same city. They've had the same name, at least going back to the beginning of the 20th century. Um, The Brewers have pretty much been the Brewers, despite changing leagues. They had one year as the Seattle Pilots. But some of these teams, and it's easier in baseball than it is in basketball, you know, having to follow all the moves and then that whole cluster with the Pelicans and the Hornets and all that. With baseball, you don't get too many team name changes, but this is a good division to start with because like, I'd say the most confusing thing to follow is when you talk about how the Senators are two different, you know, have the lineage of two different teams going to the from the Senators. So with this, luckily, we don't really have to factor any of that in. So that's a that makes it a decent place to start. Um, And like you mentioned, four of these teams are original eight teams um from the original you know 16th team era they made up half of the national league reds pirates cubs cardinals some of them go back i guess they all go back into the 19th century so um we'll uh we'll probably have quite a range in here with some of these teams and i should give a shout out to a book that i used heavily in my preparation that i've used previously it's called now taking the field by Tom Stone, who wrote this book. Now it's about five years old, and he comes up with an all-time dream team for all 30 franchises, 30, you know, 30 players for each team. We obviously are doing a little bit less ambitious. We're just doing an all-time starting nine, but I used his book very heavily as I was researching and coming up with some of my own picks. So Tom Stone now taking the field, baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 franchises. If you want to get into this topic. A little bit more. Did you have anything I else? just go ahead? Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to throw out a similar thing in doing my research. So I obviously have all the baseball references for each team, but there's a website called baseballegg.com, EGG. I think the sub subhead of that website's like baseball for eggheads. I've and they did this. a team, they did a team uh for each, you know, an all-time team for each franchise. Um, and they went back all the way. Like I was looking at some from CBS sports and for the most part, the guy was like outside of once he felt like he had to, he wasn't going with people pre world war two really for whether it was integration or, or whatever. So I obviously with maybe one exception, I largely steered away from the 19th century with these, but other than that, I gave full consideration again in the era the guy played in. I mean, there's no doubt that a guy pitcher from 1902 would probably not fare that well against a hitter today. But otherwise, what's the point then? You know, you got to consider all the eras and 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 consider who was dominant within the era they played in. Yeah. And the thing is, the only thing that really makes sense is to cut out the 19th century, which I did not do. But that's one thing that can potentially make sense because. It was a very different lot of lot of different rules. It was not the traditional American National League format. But if you cut out anything post 1900, you have to be consistent. You can't say, well, we really didn't consider anybody from the pre-war pre-integration era. Then you can't have Babe Ruth and you can't consider mm-hmm. Ted Williams or you, or if you and even if you go pre 1900, if you don't go anything pre 1900, you can't have Cy Young because most of his career was post 1900. I don't know if that'll come into play when we're only taking one pitcher. 
you really the only thing that can be justified is cutting off pre 1900. But, you know, no World Series before 1900. That's something else. But on the other hand. Players from the 19th century, at least for the first several decades of the 20th century, were considered on par as all time greats with their 20th century counterparts. When people talked about Ruth and Gehrig and Cobb, they were compared to the Willie Keelers and the Cap Ansons and some of these other guys. So I personally think it's been Major League Baseball more or less in its basic form with some, you know, some differences since the 1870s, 1880s. So you should consider those guys. And I, and I did. And and what I more meant was I didn't go like, oh, I look at the franchise index page and, well, this guy had the best ERA of all time, so he should be the pitcher if he's pitched in the 1870s. You know what I mean? I factored that in a little bit. You're always going to have a slight modern era bias in any of these sports when you consider any of these things, and that's just the nature of it. The older guys have a little bit of a higher bar to get over, but it's an achievable bar if they were really all-time greats. Yep, I agree. So um, do you want to uh, let me know what team you want to start with here of the five? So we're again, NL Central, Reds, Pirates, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers. So the way we did this last time is we went back and forth and you'd, you'd pick a team and give me your, your guys and then I'd pick a team and give me your guys. So do you want me to choose first and, and give you my guys? Yeah, go ahead All and right. choose first. All right, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds, who are one of those teams. And I'm not going to look up the, the exact date that all of these teams first came into existence. Everybody, with the exception of the Brewers, has been in Major League Baseball since sometime in the 1870s or 1880s. So for the Cincinnati Reds, I went Johnny Bench at catcher. I went Joey Votto at first base. Joe Morgan at second base. Tony Perez at third base. And I was able to get a little bit creative there because Perez played both first base and third base. He was predominantly a first baseman, but he played enough seasons at third base where I felt like I could justify it. Barry Larkin at shortstop, which is a no brainer to me. My three outfielders were Frank Robinson. I went with Pete Rose, who was another player who was all over the place as far as positions he played. He played some second. He played some first. He played some third. He played some outfield. Having Pete Rose and his flexibility was really beneficial. And then for my third, I I skipped over some earlier Hall of Famers, and I actually went with George Foster, who was another outfielder on the Big Red Machine, Won an MVP for the Reds, I believe, in 1977. So I went with George Foster, great power hitter for the Reds. And then pitching was relatively weak. So I ended up going all the way back to the the 1940s to a gentleman by the name of Bucky Walters, who was a pitcher for the Reds in the 1940s. And that was my all-time nine. And uh, you'll have to tell me where you do and don't agree. So full disclosure of the 10 teams we did last night, this was the one I did last and I was stuck. It came to, I had one person left. So basically we're almost entirely in agreement. And I like actually what you did more. I had put Rose at third, so I didn't end up having Perez. And then, so I had Rose at third and then my outfielders were Frank Robinson, George Foster. And then I really could not come up with a third and one of the all-time teams I was looking at, the guy was like, well, I put Eric Davis in there. And I was like, good enough. It's it's late. But I like what you did. So I would be more. Th- so I had Bench, Votto, Morgan, Larkin, Rose at third. And then my outfield was Robinson, Foster, Davis. And then my pitcher was Walters as well. So I think yours is definitely the better way to go there where we get Rose in in the outfield and then Perez in at third. And I think that's the way to go. A couple of questions I had for you on this. No issue. Was it a tough decision between... I mean, you may have had this plan all along, but was it a tough decision to go with Vado over Perez or no? It was, and that was why I tried to get creative. I think I originally had Rose slotted in at third base, and I was going to mm-hmm. go with Ed Roush, who was uh, is is in the Hall of Fame and was an outfielder for the Reds in the teens and 20s. He was on that Reds team in 1919 that beat the Black Sox in the 1919 World Series. That was my original thought. 
I thought that Perez would be a no-brainer, but then I looked at it, and Joey Votto won an MVP. If you look at his... Now, Perez is in the Hall of Fame, so... I mean, Votto's going to be. <laughs> Votto is probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. And I just, I looked at the numbers while they were actually on the Reds, and they're a lot closer than you might expect. Uh, let me just find that here. So as Reds, Perez more years, 16, but Votto a higher war in his 12 years than Votto had in his 16. Batting average, it's 30 points higher. Perez gets the uh, that's the edge in home runs by 18, but it's really, really close. And I also thought maybe I might have a little bit of a winning bias towards Perez since mm-hmm. he was on those big red machine teams. But I really, if, if it came down to a question between, it was basically a, a pick of three between Ed Roush, Tony Perez, and Joey Votto. And I went with Perez and Rose. So it wasn't, it was it would have been a tough choice. And I, I think I think when I realized I was gonna have to lean Votto, that was when I decided I'd get creative because I had a hard time leaving a Hall of Famer like Perez off. Now a couple of things. We hadn't talked about this ahead of time. I just went with three outfielders. I, I didn't Same. lock them. You know, it, I that used to always annoy me with people with the all-time Yankee team. And the reason I've leaned towards the three outfielders is and I know it's all an academic exercise anyway, but like Sometimes people would do the in the news. I mean, I never remember the Daily News did one with the Yankees one year, but they got super literal with it. So Babe Ruth was in right field and they had Mickey Mantle in center field. They left Joe DiMaggio off and Dave Winfield was in left field. And I was like, we're being a little too literal here. Like they wouldn't move one of those guys if they actually were putting this team together. So let's just do that. Yeah, Votto, by the way, he won an MVP and he's finished by my math in the top five or top 10 of MVPs five other times, including a second place finish and a third place finish, largely on mediocre or bad teams. I think they made the wild card round one year. I want to talk about pitcher in a second, but just while we're, we're looking at this. So bench Morgan Rose Robinson. Foster, so we got what and Perez, so that's what six guys from that big red machine was out and ended up being Frank Robinson was not big red machine, he was earlier, he was you're right, a little all right, all right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so five Robinson a little earlier than that is is six, and then your other two position players are Larkin from the 90s and then Joey Votto from a uh, from a more it's very strange that you don't have a position player for the Reds, you know, who were a decent enough franchise. You don't have a position player for them prior to Frank Robinson, but I'm not, I don't think that's wrong. Yeah. And if you think about it, they won the world series, I think in 40, they beat Detroit and they obviously, they won it in 19 when they beat the Watts white Sox, who weren't exactly all trying, but their, their kind of golden years were, especially in the 70s, where they made it to, what, four World Series, 70, 72, 75, and 76. And then, obviously, they um, they had some good years. They had the 90 World Championship, too. So it's not surprising. They also were not a good team in the pre-1900 era. You, you, don't, you don't hear about them as one of the really good 1900, uh, 18th, 1800s, 19th century teams. So there's nobody that really you would want to pull from there either. So it makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, pitching, let's just talk pitching real quick. I looked at a few guys, but Walter, and again, it's strange how little anybody stands out for a team that's been around forever. I looked at Epa Rixie, but I think Walters, who was, he did actually win an MVP in 1939, which I believe was the year the Reds went to the World Series, right? That was their first of back-to-back World Series appearances. Mm-hmm. They lost to one of the all-time great Yankee teams in 39, but then in 40, they got back and beat Detroit. This was his first full year with the team. He'd been with Philly before that. He was an all-star. He won the pitching triple crown. He led the league in, led, led all of baseball with 27 wins, led the NL with a 2.29 ERA, led the um led the national league in strikeouts with 137 also led the all of baseball with 31 complete games now obviously this was a different year different era and although it was a lot easier for pitchers to win 
MVPs in those days, especially because there was no Cy Young award. So they didn't, they weren't considered Mm -hmm. for any other big award. He had a real dominating season in that 39 season. Probably one of these guys that falls just short of being a Hall of Famer. Although if I think if he had put up a similar record in the 60s and 70s, he, he might well be in the Hall of Fame. But yeah, there just really wasn't anybody else that really stands out. It was, you know, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. While you're looking to finish your thought there, um, one thing I thought, this is kind of a side note, but one thing I thought was kind of interesting was that he, um, you know, he's, he's pretty much at the top of his game in his late, in the late 1930s, but he's in 1941, he's 32 years old. So he, it may, it must've been an age thing with him, but he didn't, uh, he just kept pitching through 42, 43, 44, 45. So he was in his mid thirties. So he didn't seem to have any military, uh, obligations. I don't know. Maybe there were reasons that he supported his sick mother or something, but I generally by 1944, they were pretty much taking you if you had a pulse. So just kind of an interesting, uh, aside there. There are very few players that didn't miss at least a year for military service during those t- that time period. So you're right. That is a little strange. So our, our, um, our final, uh, lineup is just what mine was bench Votto, Morgan Perez, Larkin, Foster, Rob, Frank Robinson, Rose and Bucky Walters. I believe that makes it your turn. And where would you like to go next? All right. I'm going to go with the Chicago Cubs. So let me read these down for you here. And I feel like I have a pretty nice mix. Um, Catcher Gabby Hartnett, first baseman Cap Anson, second baseman Ryan Sandberg, shortstop Ernie Banks, third base Ron Santo. And then in my outfield, I had Hack Wilson, Billy Williams, Sammy Sosa, and then pitcher I went back and forth on before I ultimately did land on three finger Brown. So that's my Cubs team. When you say you went back and forth, what was your what was your back and forth? Was it Ferguson Jenkins was your other one? Yes. Cause I, I was almost doing the reverse thing. I'm like, Oh, am I going like, because he had a funny name and, and like, I know him from the early 20th century. And like, am I being almost overly biased against the older era, especially compared to Jenkins? Who's, you know, this, this what did he pitch? Mostly the seventies was like his prime. Is that correct? Ferguson Jenkins, another guy who started his career in Philly, came to the Cubs in 66 at 23 years of age and pitched for them for basically all until he was 40 until 1983. Oh, no, actually, I shouldn't say that he he left. He left them in 73 and went a bunch of other places and then finished out his career with a couple of seasons. So he's really only on the Cubs in his first stint for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons Wins a Cy Young in 71, only makes three all-star teams in his career, but is somebody he is in the Hall of Fame. And then. And what I was going to say is that just, that's an era of baseball I'm probably the least nostalgic about is like, I mean, again, obviously nostalgia is a weird concept for things before you were born. But like, I love kind of learning about sort of the original 16 era really up through, you know, the the 60s and the end of the Yankee dynasty and, and even into the late 60s. And then obviously the eras I remember from being alive late 90s into the current era. But the 70s and the 80s, not that I'm not interested in it, but that's just probably the era that I am least likely to inflate in my mind. So I was worried for a minute that maybe I was not being fair. But then I looked and I'm like, Three Finger Brown really was a dominant pitcher for pretty much his whole career. He was. Now, his career is not as long as you might think with the Cubs. He's only on them from 2000, uh, 1904 to 1913 before he leaves to jump to the years. Federal League for a couple of years there. So he's got a similar and much like Jenkins, he finishes out his career. at in his. He's 39. He finishes out with one last season with the Cubs, known as Three Finger Brown, for those who don't know, because of a farming accident when he was growing up in, ten, in Indiana or yeah, in Indiana and and that basically uh, leads to one of his fingers being amputated and another one paralyzed, and it gives him sort of a devastating curveball. Best year is 1906, which is the year that the Cubs win 116 games in uh, basically 100 and uh, 154 
game season before losing to the White Sox. 1.04 ERA, which even for that era is incredible. Uh, 239 career wins like Jenkins. He's in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, I gave him the slight edge too. I was by and large in agreement with you. And there was one place where we are not in agreement and it might not be where you might expect. I did not have Hack Wilson on my team, which for those of you who don't know, Hack Wilson is the all-time single-season RBI leader in 1930, which is the year of the pit, uh, really the year of the hitter. If 1968 is the year of the pitcher, 1930 is the year of the hitter. Wilson bats 356, has uh, 56 home runs, so he almost breaks Babe Ruth's record, or he comes close to breaking Babe Ruth's record only three years after Ruth said it, and has what is an all-time single-season record still to this day of 191 RBIs in a single season. Wilson is in the Hall of Fame. He is with the Cubs for one, two, three, four, five, only six seasons. And that might have been a part of my thinking. But I, for my third outfielder, I did have Billy Williams and I did have Sosa. And I went all the way back to the 19th century to a guy who played a number of positions for the Chicago Cubs. And I, uh, my third outfielder was Mike King Kelly. I mean, it's very tough for, I, mean, I guess not as, as tough as comparing King Kelly to Sammy Sosa. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I knew will, I was actually surprised at how little Wilson was on the Cubs. I guess I just figured, you know, if you look at, yeah, it was a really short period of time, but just the years he was on the Cubs, his RBI numbers, 109, 129, 120, 159, 191, and then at 31, just down to 61. Um, how long was King Kelly on the Cubs for? King Kelly was on the Cubs for seven years, and Wilson so basically was the same amount as Wilson. Wilson was on the Cubs for six years they are Wilson has got it on him in war obviously a lot more home runs yeah you know I think I can give in on Wilson I I, part of it was probably Kelly even though the stats were not the best was a great base runner I think I had some nostalgia there for King Kelly but I can I can give in and go with Hack Wilson there yeah, um, and and I understand the point. If if Kelly had been on the team for fifteen years, but I mean, really, if if the major strike against Wilson is that he was only on the team for six years, I have a tough time giving it to somebody who was on the team for one more year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, and there was so, part of me that didn't want to have Sosa on and push him out with another Hall of Famer, but the guy had some monster years for the Cubs, so I think he's got to stay was, on there. That was going to be my next question was any compunction about about Sammy Sosa. But I mean, again, if we're going to start invoking that, I mean, I don't see if you look at he was on the Cubs from 1992 until 2004. So he was on the team for 13 13 seasons for 13 years. If you start in 95, 36 and just do the power numbers. 36, 119, 4,100, 36, 119, 66, 158, 63, 141, 50, 138, 64, 160, 49, 108, and then 40, 103. He's the MVP in 98. He's in the top 10 five years in a row, runner up in 2001. I get it. I get the steroid aspect of it. I get that it was a hitter-friendly era, even taking the steroid aspect of it out. I just think for what we're doing here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I would tend to agree. It, it, it's not purely a number, but it, so it's like, I don't like when people make these comparisons, but I honestly think it holds more water for what we're doing. If we're going to discount guys because the steroids, do we maybe have to discount guys who played in much different eras? Yeah. I, I I think it, I think if it's, if it was close, I would factor it in, but I think I got to go with Sosa there. So I mean, I mean, you agree with me, obviously we're just kind of 
I agree. Yeah, I agree. So our our starting nine, uh, Hartnett, Anson, Sandberg, Santo, Banks, uh, Williams, Hack, uh, Hack Wilson, Billy Williams, Sammy Sosa and Mordecai Three Finger Brown. So another uh, another that that's a solid team. I would have to say that's a solid team right there. So, yeah, well, I mean, a lot of these teams honestly better be solid. That's true. <laughs> They've been at it for 150 <laughs> years. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so is it my turn? Your turn, and you have the choice of the Pirates, the Cubs, and the Brewers. And the only thing I would say, and I'm not going to make, well, we should not end with the Brewers because that's anticlimactic. So whoever, if you want to pick somebody here that's not them, I will pick them next time because I just don't feel like we do four teams that have been around for 100 years and then do the Brewers. All right, I'll pick one, then I'll let you, I'll let you do the Brewers. I'm going to pick the St. Louis Cardinals, and uh, okay. this is a solid team for me. I had Yadier Molina at catcher. I had Albert Pujols at first base. Rogers Hornsby was my second baseman. Ken Boyer at third. Ozzy Smith at short. Stan Musial, Enos Slaughter, and Lou Brock in the outfield. And Bob Gibson at pitcher. And I'm actually thinking a little more on my shortstop because when I did this, I just wrote down Ozzy Smith as a no-brainer. I actually mm-hmm. think I might be wrong about that, but I want to see what you have and see if there's any place for debate. So I might have done the same thing and just written down Ozzy Smith without giving it a ton of thought. So I don't want you to think that um, whoever you're thinking of, you might be right about. I had basically the same team. The only difference I had is I did go with Ted Simmons at catcher over Yadier Molina. I went back and forth on it. Both had a long Long tenures, obviously, Molina's is historic in this day and age, how long he was the catcher for. I guess I just felt like the the longevity of Simmons as an at an all-star level on, you know, I guess he came in a little after they were really, really good, but you know, was still on on so wins a he wins a silver slugger in his last year, 1980s, an eight, six time all star with the Cardinals. I wouldn't fight that hard. I think Molina obviously is a much better defensive catcher in terms of managing pitchers and, and, and just pure defense. But Simmons was probably the better offensive player. He was. Molina only wins the one silver slugger, much like Simmons. Mm. He's a nine time gold glove winner. He is a 10-time All-Star, so he's got more in both of those positions than Simmons does. So I felt pretty strongly about Molina. Yadier Molina is going to be in the Hall of Fame. He he will be. So I did feel pretty strongly about Molina there. I don't know how strongly you feel about Simmons, but I felt pretty strongly about Molina. Yeah, I, I think you feel stronger about Molina than I feel about Simmons. So I would give you that. For what it's worth, this baseball, well, I mean, they used a DH, but I was going to say this baseball egg thing. They had, they listed Hornsby as the DH, and that was their way of getting Frankie Frisch in at second base. But obviously, we're not playing with that net. But they, they did have Ted Simmons in the, uh, in the catcher slot there. But I also don't know when this came out. I think it was fairly recently, probably recently enough where Yadier Molina still got, was in the conversation, but it might have been four or five years ago. So I would be fine with Molina. What was your, what were you saying for shortstop? What was your extra thought here? You know, and I I did it right when I put this together yesterday, and now I just had a brain freeze as I was naming this. I was thinking Frisch was a shortstop, but he's not. He's a second baseman. And now that I'm remembering, I thought about Hornsby versus Frisch, and Hornsby is one of the best. You know, he Hornsby may be the best pure right-handed hitter of all time, so he's got to be it. Frisch didn't play any shortstop. He played mostly second and a little bit of third. I don't think Frisch played enough third base to bump Ken Boyer. Let me look here at what he did. No, his third base. Well, you know, he played, he played some third base, but I I don't feel like it was enough. Yeah. There's a part of me that wants to get a little cute with that and make him, but let me look at Boyer. Boyer MVP, 11 time old all-star he did play some outfield, but when he was on the Cardinals, he was overwhelmingly a third baseman, including in his 
MVP year in 1964. 64. He was the MVP in a year they won a title. Yeah, I mean, so I think Frisch might have been too, to be honest with you. He was Frisch was the MVP for the Cardinals in 1931, which was a year that they beat the A's in the World Series. So it's close. I'm always reluctant to give it to the non-Hall of Famer over the Hall of Famer, but since Boyer was much more predominantly a third baseman for the Cardinals, I, I think I can stick with Boyer. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too, is you got to factor that in. You, you got to factor in if a guy played a couple innings a year or a couple of games a year at third. I'm almost more lenient if the guy played a few years at third and then moved full time somewhere else than, oh, he was predominantly always something else, but he'd get a handful of games each year at the other position. I almost feel like at some point it needed to be the guy's primary position. And I don't believe it ever was for the Cardinals. Somebody like Jackie Robinson, who played full seasons at first, second, third outfield. That's the kind of thing you're talking about. Dodgers. I'm coming up with an example or even like, and when we get to the AL West, I didn't do this, but like Biggio was a full-time catcher for a few years. So, yeah, I think I'm comfortable with Boyer. Did you have any other deviations? No. So I went, I Simmons, but we talked about that. And then I went Pujols, Hornsby, Ozzy at short, Boyer at third, and then Musial Brock, Enos Slaughter, and then Bob Gibson. Any question about Bob Gibson as the pitcher? I, I don't, but. I looked at Dizzy Dean. You know, it's funny, too, because off the top of my head, there are not that many. I'm probably missing somebody. And, you know, hello, old sports at gmail.com. If, if you're listening to this and you think I missed anybody, but there aren't that many Cardinals starting pitchers who were predominantly Cardinals who are in the Hall of Fame. Steve Carlton was a Cardinal in the 60s, but he's, you know, you think of him mostly as a Philly. I can't think of that many other guys other than Gibson so, and Dizzy Dean, who are in the Hall of Fame as Cardinals pitchers. So to, here's the cart that baseball egg website there. They had a starting rotation of five man rotation. Gibson, Dizzy Dean, obviously. Then they have Adam Wainwright, John Tudor and Harry Breachin. So there is a steep drop off there. <laughs> Yeah, and unlike Molina and Pujols, I don't think Chris Carpenter is going to the Hall of Fame. He's a, a really good pitcher. Who said Dean, anything about Chris Carpenter? Oh, did I? Did Adam, you know, Wayne, Adam, oh, Wainwright. Adam, Adam Wainwright. I'm sorry. I didn't mean Chris Carpenter. Adam Wainwright. Yeah. I, I, you know, Wainwright, I mean, he's not on this list. I just, since we're, Bob Gibson's level. No, he's not Bob Gibson. We've talked about Adam Wainwright before on this podcast he'll he's probably still going to be best known for in 2006 as when he was still a reliever when he froze carlos beltran in game seven of the 06 nlcs to to end the game i don't know why i said chris carpenter but yeah i don't necessarily see wainwright he finished either second or third in cy young voting four times you know it's hard to look it's hard to compare a guy from the modern era just because Everything has changed so much. 195 career wins. Who knows? Maybe Wainwright does get into the Hall of Fame, but you're right. He's not Bob Gibson or even Dizzy Dean. Dizzy Dean had essentially four dominant years with the Cardinals. Really, really three. Uh, 19 comes to the team in 32. And then in 33, he's 20 and 18. 34 is when he has his crazy year when he's 30 and seven and leads the league with uh, uh, 30 wins, obviously, 811 winning percentage, and then 311 innings pitch, 195 strikeouts. Leads the league in, in, leads the majors in strikeouts four years in a row. And then by, by 37 at the age of 27, not only is Dizzy Dean off the Cardinals, but his career is essentially over he hangs on with the cubs for a few years and then in 1947 he comes back to pitch one game for the st louis browns and i, I gotta look that up because i'm sure that's a very interesting story but dizzy dean i think is considered one of these guys who maybe is a hall of famer based more on reputation and a few dominant years name nickname just the fact that he was a character and look the guy had three or four all-time great dominating seasons. He's almost like the uh, 
position player, the pitching version of Roger Maris, although Roger Maris was by no means any sort of a character and Dizzy Dean couldn't <laughs> stop promoting himself. So not two more different personalities than Dizzy Dean and Roger Maris, but kind of the same thing, sort of couple of really great dominant years and then fall off a cliff. Gibson, who, although Gibson, I think can be a tad overrated at times because he did have some really mediocre seasons mixed in with some dominating seasons. I think between the dominant years that he did have, particularly in the sixties, particularly in 68 and the fact that the guy was just incredible in the postseason against a lot of hall of famers to me, it's Gibson. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I, I hear what you say. Gibson, he had like a really good year in 62 ERA wise. He only went 15 and 13, but he had a sub three ERA. And then the next couple of years, you know, again, by modern standards, really good records. But it's, it was 65 when he really started, you know, becoming a, a perennial all star and pitching to that really good ERA starting in 66, 2.44. 67, 2.98, the great year in 68, 69. He was a full run worse and still only pitched to a two ERA. And then, you you know, you, you make a decent point that he had some up and down years, at least wins wise after that. Um, and by seven, he's also, in his, he's also in his mid thirties by that point, to be yeah. fair. So, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, you look at the era really from, you know, what, 60, 65, 66 to 70, Two really, you know, so a seven, eight year window. The one thing I would like to say about Bob Gibson, can we please just talk about Bob Gibson being a good pitcher without like literally 90% of it just being that he threw at people and said stuff to Tim McCarver. It seems like people just go like, oh, and there, you know, of course, Bob Gibson in 1967, oh, he'd throw at you for no reason. Like talk about him being a pitcher. A, there's more to talk about than that. And B, like, it sounds like he was a sociopath, but it's it's one of those things where people just love to right away go into that. Like, you know, I love to throw at people's head for no reason. It's like, all right, you know, <laughs> MVP so. of the 67 for his MVP of their both of their World Series wins 64 and 67. But 67 is the one that's just incredible against Boston. Three and oh, three, three wins, three complete games, one of which is a shutout. And not a lot. He basically his 67 World Series against the Red Sox is basically on par with what Christy Mathewson did in 1905. And then I don't remember which one it was. Bumgarner had a really crazy World Series for the Giants. I think it was in 14. So it's one of the if not the greatest World Series pitching performance of all time. So it is Gibson. So our Cardinals list, which Andrew and I essentially agreed on Molina, Pujols, Hornsby, Boyer, Ozzie Smith, Musial, Slaughter, and Brock. That's a hell of an outfield. <laughs> and Bob one Gibson, more thing to, One more thing to mention with Gibson was the next year in 68, he was really good again. Probably would have been the MVP of the World Series again had they won. Uh, we, he went 2-1 and one and pitched to a 1.67 ERA in the three games he started, all of which were complete games, but he lost game seven. So that was the difference. Hey, guys. Dan here. I don't usually break in during an episode, but wanted to let you all know that Hello Old Sports is nominated for a Sports Podcast Award under the category of Best Sports Talk Podcast. We'd love to have all of your support in voting for us. So if you have a minute, head on over to sportspodcastgroup.com and click on the awards tab to give us your vote. And while you're at it, check out the other categories and vote for our colleagues here on the Sports History Network. Again, that's sportspodcastgroup.com and the best sports talk category. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening to Hello Old Sports. Now, back to our show. All right, so we're down to Pittsburgh and Milwaukee, and you said you wanted to go with Milwaukee, and... I, I really don't. I just don't think we should end with Milwaukee, because it's... I agree. Um, all right, so here's what I'll go. i start with catcher. Jonathan Lucroy, first base Cecil Cooper, Second base, Ricky Weeks. Shortstop, Robin Yount. Third base, Paul Molitor. Outfield, Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, Ben Ogilvie, and then Ben Sheets as the pitcher. All right, so... We probably have some differences on this, I would imagine. We did, and... If Give me the just, ones you agree on. 
so I agreed with you on Jonathan Lucroy. I agree with you on Cecil Cooper. I was with you on Molitor. I was with you on Yount. And then you're, give me your outfielders again. Ryan Braun, mm-hmm. Christian Yelich, Ben Ogilvy. Okay, so I had, and just bear with me for a second here because I want to pull up the numbers. Just let me get the book here. I did not have Yelich. I had Jeff Jenkins, who played 10 years with the Brewers from 78 to 86. But now that you mention it, I do think that Yelich should probably be the third outfield. He's got an MVP and an MVP runner-up in five years, so I think that's good enough. Yeah, you know, I didn't give him a close enough look. I think you're right. I, I, I was probably... I was probably not thinking modern because the team hasn't been any good. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't necessarily thinking of any good modern players being on the team, but yeah, it's gotta be him. So yeah, we can cross him off or we can cross Jenkins off and add him at second base. I did not. And and real quick, to be honest with Yelich, his last couple of years are no great shakes, but I, I think those two years may be enough at the moment. And then just the promise that he still should be pretty good at only 30 years. None of these other guys come even close to sniffing an MVP. So other than Yount, who was sort of a combination shortstop and outfielder. So yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Yelich in the outfield. And, and I had, had, ben o- I had been, I had been Ogilvy and I had Ryan Braun second base. I had Jim Gantner who played um, 17 years with the Brewers compared to Ricky Weeks, 11 batting average, 25 points higher than Weeks was 274 versus 249 Weeks had a lot more Weeks had a hundred more home runs. Gantner was probably on better teams. He was on that 82 team that made it to the world series against the Cardinals. I am not going to pretend to have much of a preference on here. I think my slight push would be for Gantner just based on longevity, longevity. but I don't really. Yeah, that's, that's that's fine. Um, I mean, I saw it written in both places. You know, both everything I've looked at has had it two ways. You know, it, it's not like they were all not. It's not like they were all uh, in agreement that everything was. Um, you know, that everybody had weeks or everybody had Gantner. I saw it a few different places. Like you said, it's not something I'm going to particularly, you know, we're, we're talking, we're not talking about all time greats here either way. Although both of them had longevity that certainly deserves credit with the Brewers, but I would be fine with Gantner. And then my starting pitcher was Teddy Higuera over sheets. Yeah, he was, it was, it was between the two of them for me. Higuera was there longer, I believe. Is that correct? Nine years versus eight. Nine years. All right. So that's that's basically a wash. I think I went with Sheets as the more um, dominant, although in a much shorter period of time. That was sort of my... Let me just pull up his exact... Uh, no, I don't want his minor league stats. Give me his regular stats. Uh, career stats. It's always weird when oh there we go. But it gives you like a crazy like a weird one after you pull it up normal ones the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh Ben Sheets overview. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean he had he had I mean I guess he was never dominant necessarily. His best year would probably have been 04 when he was finished eighth in the Cy Young, and then he was a four-time all-star again on largely really bad teams. He had a lot of years here was winning he actually had a career losing record 94 and 96 that counts a couple of years in Oakland and Atlanta. So I guess overall his career winning percentage with, with the Brewers would have been above 500 again. This is another one. I don't care that much about. Um, I, those were the two guys I had sort of in the final list as well. So that again, not, not something I have particularly strong feelings about either way. I, it can be sheets. He made more all-star teams. It, it It's fine. Let's go with sheets. I don't think they're going to factor in when we figure out who the team that advances from this division is. 
No, and let's talk about that real quick. Um, let's just give the lineup, I should say. Lucroy, Cecil Cooper, Jim Gantner, Paul Molitor, Robin Yount. Not a bad left side of the infield. Two really good Hall of Famers on the left side of the infield, Yount and Molitor, who were teammates for years on those 80s Brewers teams. And then Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, uh, Ben Ogilvy in the outfield. Yelich is a great player. Not a great player, but a, a good player. At times, a very good player. Um, the rest are, are decent enough. I think was Braun an MVP at one point? I think he was, right? And then he had that he whole... Was, yeah. Then he had that whole thing where yeah. he failed the steroid test and he tried to defame the guy who worked when for MLB. Yeah. yeah. And then Ben Sheets is the pitcher. So that is our less than impressive Milwaukee Brewer team. Sorry, Bob Euchre. And we are on to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I will give you my list here. And this is a good team. This is this to me is a good team. This is going to be Jason Kendall at catcher. Willie Stargell at first base. Bill Mazeroski is the second baseman. We've got Pi Trainer at third base, a guy who may be the greatest shortstop of all time at shortstop, and that is Honus Wagner. The outfield is pretty damn good in and of itself, and that for me was Roberto Clemente, Barry Bonds, and Paul Wehner. And then my pitcher was Wilbur Cooper, who was a member of the team uh, from 1912 to 1924. How did I do? Position players were exactly right. I feel like just go with the quick no-brainer. Stargell's a no-brainer. Wagner, trainer. The outfield is a no-brainer. I got to be honest. I And I, I was going to put him on the list either way. I guess I never realized just how good Barry Bonds was with Pittsburgh. I mean, I knew he was really good, and I knew obviously he was a much different looking player, and and you know certainly not the Barry Bonds that I was used to when he went to, you know, went to San Francisco and got bigger. But I didn't realize he in a three year period he won two MVPs with them and was the runner up in 1991. So he was one place away from three straight. MVPs with Pittsburgh on again, pretty good teams. You know, his batting average was was not what it would be in later years with San Francisco, but on base percentage was still up there. You know, you were starting to see the template for the player he would be. I guess what was it? What would his last year, you know, never hit more than 34 home runs with them, but was consistently those last few years over a hundred RBIs, walking over a hundred times. So I at first I was kind of like, oh, do people overrate how good he was in Pittsburgh? But no, he was he was a damn good player in Pittsburgh. Almost almost won three straight MVPs. You know, no questions there. Mazeroski just because of the defense. You know, I mean, yes, he hit the number. He hit the biggest home run probably in the franchise's history. That wouldn't be a reason enough to put him on there. But there's not really anybody you would put above him. He probably I won't even say probably he should not be in the Hall of Fame, but. He's definitely there's nobody really else to consider from a second baseman's standpoint with Pittsburgh. Same thing with Kendall. You know, Kendall kind of sticks out like a sore thumb on this list, but you forget just how good he was for how long. Obviously, on a team like this, he's the weakest position player, but you know, they never really had any great who was the catcher for them in those 70s teams? Manny San Manny Sanguian. Okay. And, so, and he was the other one that I considered, but I went with Kendall. Mm -hmm. The only difference I had was I had Babe Adams, the pitcher, as yeah. my uh, yeah. as my pitcher instead of who did you have? I had Wilbur Cooper, who was a teammate and contemporary of his. A guy named Babe and a guy named Wilbur probably pitched at the same time. Yeah, you know what? I, I think... It's really close. And I actually think I'm going to give in to you on Adams. They have an identical war, even though Adams played more, played five more years with the team. But war for pitchers, is, especially back then, is kind of a it's a stat that you can get around. Cooper's only got eight more wins, even though he played for five more years with the team. Adams also. And I, I think when you're talking about players on specific teams, this does matter. Adams had a really, really good World Series for them in 1909 as a as a rookie when they beat Ty Cobb and the Tigers in the 09 World Series. He won three mm -hmm. games in that World Series. 
Babe Adams is a guy who people, baseball history people sometimes talk about as maybe one of these sort of overlooked players who maybe should be in the Hall of Fame. So I will I will sort of agree to switch and we'll go with Babe Adams as opposed to Wilbur Cooper. The one other yeah. thing that I wanted to mention was I think we got the outfield right, but and although Paul Weiner there's a lot more than just McCutcheon. McCutcheon, who won an MVP during his time with the Pirates. There is a left fielder by the name of Fred Clark, who played with the Pirates from 1900 to 1915 and is in the Hall of Fame. Ralph Kiner, eight seasons with the Pirates, led the NL in home runs in seven of those years and that was an NL with some some really good guys in the late 40s and early 50s. Andrew mentioned McCutcheon. Dave Parker played 11 seasons and won a won an MVP for the Pirates in 1978. Lloyd Wayner, who's a Hall of Famer even though he probably doesn't deserve to be one, played I think it was 17 seasons with the Pirates. Max Carey center fielder from 1910 to 1926 stole 688 bases for the pirates and is the all-time center field leader in war. He's in the hall of fame. There is a lot there and really Stargill in a lot of ways was just as much, if not more of an outfielder and he was a first baseman. So thank God there's a slot for him at first base. The pirates outfield is a very, very, very stacked group of guys lots of mvps hall of famers postseason heroes lots there yeah but i i do think the three we got are the three that are the answer yeah i think i think i maybe just would have second thoughts well let me just look real quick at the difference between ralph kiner and paul wayner paul wayner as a pirate 340 with 109 uh, home runs played with the team for 15 years. Ralph Kiner, 301 home runs, but only a 280 batting average. War, 44.5 versus 68.2. Yeah, I think since we both had Wayner, why don't we stick with Wayner? But mm. Ralph Kiner is really close. So just to go through it again. Kendall, Stargell, Mazeroski, Pie Trainer, Honus Wagner, Clemente, Barry Bonds, Paul Wayner, and Babe Adams is the pitcher. That Adams it- pitch was 44, by the way. Jeez. Jeez. He came back from missing a year in 1917, which I'm assuming has to be World War One related. Pitched to a 1.19 ERA in 19. Well, all right. He only pitched like three innings. And the next year in 1919, pitched to a 1.98 ERA. And the, the last thing I would say that I, I kind of want to point out is last couple is next couple full years, 1920 and 1921 still pitches to a sub three ERA. And think about the, I know more so in the American league, mm-hmm. but those are a big years of adjustment with the ball. You know, Absolutely. Change it. Absolutely. So, so, so we got to pick one want, here or did you have something to add to first? No. So, Let's we don't have to do this for everyone, but just as sort of an exercise. So the Brewers are five, right? Yes. If we had to rank these, the Brewers are five. You know, and you know what? I think we should do this for everyone. It's only five teams. So, yeah, the Brewers are five. All right. So that leaves us with the four older franchises. I feel like I know who's going to be number one for me. But I between two, three, and four, I'm a little more conflicted. I guess it depends how much do you do you factor in pitching? Do you fact I'm, who would you go with fourth as the next weakest team in this? I'm between two. What are the two you're between? I'm between Pittsburgh and Cincinnati for three and four. So those would be your four and three. Yeah. All I right. think I'm uh, gonna go with and this is, geez, I think I'm going to go with Pittsburgh four because I don't love Jason Kendall. I don't love Bill Mazeroski. 
pitching is a wash between Babe Adams and Bucky Walters, but mm-hmm. um, Bonds, while well, well, great, his best years were not on the Pirates. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, you know, I think, I think that Cincinnati and Pittsburgh really could be three A and three B. But for me, if if I got to pick, I'm going to go Pittsburgh four, Cincinnati three. I agree with that. Two is the Cubs. Yeah, you know, when I first did this, I thought maybe it would be the the Cubs would be the best. But, well, I mean, so, so here's the thing. Thank you. Here's the, here's the thing. Position player-wise, who would be the five top guys on the Cardinals on this list in terms of historically? Pools, Hornsby, Musial. Brock and maybe uh yeah. maybe Enos Slaughter. Yeah. Cubs, you know, you're getting down to Ron Santo by that point. So, you know, and I there's a few reasons why, some of which are his fault and others of which are are just era. You know, Cap Anson is by far the best player of the 19th century, the best position player of the 19th century. And I just, it's so hard to compare guys from that long ago, but I just want to pull up his, his stats real quick. First of all, the guy played forever. He was there starting in 1871 with the national association. And he was on some other teams. He gets to Chicago in the first year of the, of the national league in 1876. He's a 334 lifetime hitter. He's the first guy ever to get 3,000 hits. He's got 3,435 hits. You know, we don't have to get into it now. His legacy is mixed both on and off the field. But if you're talking about the best player in the 19th century, position player wise, it's Cap Anson. He and Banks are the only two Cubs that I would look at and say they're sort of, you know, pantheon all-time greats in the history of the sport. Whereas Hornsby, Musial, Puholtz, and maybe Brock are all that for the Cubs. You're right. Um, You know, shortstop Banks blows Ozzie Smith out of the water. The outfields, though, I think Musial, Slaughter, and Brock. If you give me Musial, Slaughter, Brock, Billy Williams, Sammy Sosa, and Hack Wilson, and you got and you were picking, I think the three Cardinals get picked before the three Cubs. I think the three Cardinals are the are the three best of that group of six. Some of the other positions are a wash. I think Bob Gibson again hard to compare. I take Bob Gibson over Mordecai Three Finger Brown. So. Nothing to be embarrassed about if you're the Cubs, but I think the Cardinals are better. And the Cardinals, when we, you know, ultimately end up with a division winner in each one, I guess then we'll have to end up with a, a World Series and a, and a final. But the Cardinals, definitely going to be above. I guess I shouldn't give it away, but Cardinals probably number one or two in the National League. Well, I guess we'll see. We got plenty of time to get to it, but um, that's uh, you know they 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 could be up there to the they they could they could start right here at the beginning and be there at the end. Definitely. Well, this was fun. I think this was a yes. cool little exercise, and uh, we'll you know we'll get this one. Uh, this will be the first, but you got five more to expect, sort of sprinkled in throughout the the baseball season. And I think we're going to do the American League West next as sort of our um, our working plan right now. Probably a lot less agreement on that, just the nature of most of those teams, but probably also a lot of like we saw with the Brewers where we're arguing over two guys who are marginal and we're both just like, yeah, whatever, fine. Um, <laughs> I would tend to agree. All right. This was fun, like I said, and uh, we appreciate you all joining us as we sort of uh, do do a few things to, to get the baseball season started here on Hello World Sports. And our next episode will be the American League West. But until then, on behalf of the St. Louis Cardinals, the winners of the National League Central all time starting nine, I am Dan Newman. 
And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. With every race, every qualifying run, and every pit stop, Tim Coffeen would feel the pressure and excitement. With his own podcast on the Sports History Network called Tim Coffeen Talks IndyCar and Racing History, Tim will share those very same racing emotions and memories with his listeners. Learn, laugh, and enjoy the world of IndyCar racing through the eyes of Tim Coffeen. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.